Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. The Incomparable, number 643, December 2022. Welcome back to The Incomparable. I'm Jean McDonald, filling in for Jason Snell, and I'm excited for my chance to be sitting in the captain's chair for this, a look back at the unforgettable film The Poseidon Adventure, which celebrates its 50th anniversary this year. Like producer Irwin Allen, I too have assembled an all-star cast for this episode, and starting with Annette Weirstra. Hey, Annette. Hey, Jean. I'm here in a very nice long gown with a convenient pair of shorts underneath. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, Steve Lutz, what about you? Oh, How I'm just wearing you? panties under this. I, I should have put on something <laughs> decent like, like my husband told me. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't do this without Shelley Brisbane, our resident classic film star expert, uh, uh, and if you know the Poseidon Adventure and this genre generally, that is a good uh, background to have. Hey, Shelley. Hello. In the water, I'm a very skinny lady. <laughs> <laughs> um, and finally, you can't run a ship without a chief engineer. So I've recruited a special, very special guest, John Chigi, the host of the podcast Causality. John, welcome to The Incomparable. Thanks for inviting me, Jean. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, I'm not going to describe what I'm wearing, but let's just say I will have to change if I'm going to go into the office later. <laughs> <laughs> well, that sounds great. And so, as I mentioned, we're here to talk about this legendary disaster film, The Poseidon Adventure, which opened on December 12th, 1972, uh, nearly 25 years ago as we record that. I mean, 50 years ago as we record that. Sorry. I well, got myself flies, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I got myself confused because I realized as I was preparing today that um, it's exactly 25 years between the release of the Poseidon Adventure and the release of Titanic. And it's 25 years since the Titanic. So this is a big anniversary year. Um, and yeah, it was one of the biggest box office. It was the biggest box office success in 1973. And also one of the biggest releases ever on the small screen when um, the television rights were acquired by ABC. So um, before we talk about the film in detail, I'd really love to hear a little bit more about um, from you all when you first saw it and where, like where or how old you were, because I have a story. But I want to hear yours first. Um, let's start with you, Annette. I don't remember exactly when I've seen it. I've seen it once before. I'm going to say in the last like 20 years, post post Titanic. Uh, mm -hmm. And I loved it. I was like, this is an amazing film in terms of like disaster film and action. But I when I went back to watch it again, I like I remembered the upside down part spoilers. <laughs> and I remembered the ballroom and I remembered like kind of key points, but I kind of forgot 
who like who makes it who doesn't make it the key mm. like so it was kind of like going into a movie i knew i liked but watching it for the first time all over again oh, cool. which was fun that's cool that's a great perspective um how about you steve when did you first see this uh, well, I th- I first saw this when I was either seven or eight years old, um, mm-hmm. and I know that because um, some of you are probably aware that when I was younger, I did a little bit of child acting, and um, I-, I was in a TV show called Skinflint, A Country Christmas Carol in 1979, uh, and when that was about to be aired, um, my dad went out and bought one of the early uh vcrs that's basically the size and shape of a boat anchor so thematically appropriate for this podcast um (laughs) but uh in addition to purchasing the vcr he also picked up a uh a movie um and this was at the time when when you would go out to buy a movie it cost you somewhere between 80 and 100 dollars because they very jealously guarded you know movies at the time you can just go out and buy a five dollar dvd um so you know it must have cost some amount of money um, but for a very long time, that was the only, the only, uh, VHS tape that we had. Um, <laughs> so I must've watched the Poseidon adventure 30, 40 times when I was a kid. And it, it's, it's funny watching now because it's probably been 25, 30 years since I've seen it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the fine details, I certainly don't remember, but I still, when I'll hear a line of dialogue, I'll know exactly which one is coming next and in what tone of voice it's about to be spoken, uh, is so deeply ingrained is it in my psyche from having watched it so much as a kid. Wow. And Shelley, what do you remember? I saw it in the theater when I was a real little kid. I don't know if it was probably when it was re-released because it was released in late 72 and then they did a re-release in 74, I think, or 73 because it was really so popular, as you said. And uh, my mom and I used to go to movies and I I had finally reached, well, I hadn't really reached the age where you could take kids to adult movies, but mom wanted to see them. So I would go with her (laughs) and she sat in the back and I liked to sit in the front. So all the action and bone jarring, I was just, it was was all over. And I'll tell you, like, I, I have seen it since then, but it's been a really long time. But it's, since it's been such a long time, I was wondering how I would react to it when I watched it for this. It's, just as I remember it. You know how you see a movie when you're a kid and you think, and and then you see it again as an adult and you're just like, oh, that's a, I see it differently. There are so many, you know, sub uh, straights that I didn't, uh, subplots or whatever, or so much uh, emotion that I didn't capture when I was a tiny child. And that's probably true, but it's really the movie mm-hmm. I remember, which is very joyful for me because I loved it as a kid and I, I loved it watching it again. It was so much fun. You know, it's funny. I, I agree with that in some respects. Um, very much the, the, the last hour and a half of the film is very much as I remember it and, uh, and, and holds up very well. What I don't remember from having seen it many, many times as a kid is how sort of cheesy TV movie of the week, all of the 30 minutes that leads up to the, the tsunami is, <laughs> oh, yeah. and all that character development is so it's, it's almost love boat level. Uh, I was going to say, it's not only we'll before that, Titanic, but... it's before the love boat. And I, I got that too. <laughs> Yeah. Um, how about you, John? Uh, do you remember when you saw it first? Um, well, like Steve, I was probably about seven or eight years old. I tried to pin it down in my memory. Uh, so I was, I was, you know, much younger than I am now, put it that way. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I remember I walked into the, um, I walked into the main uh, TV room and my, uh, my mum was watching it. 
And I asked her what it was and she said, oh, this, um, this ship kind of gets tipped over sort of thing. And I'm like, oh, really? Interesting. Um, and so I sat down, I watched it and I, and I think after about, uh, I don't know how long, but I, I saw from roughly um, just about 10 minutes after, well, five minutes after they, they tipped over sort of thing. And then uh, I, I gave up after about uh, maybe 45 minutes or so, I guess, because I never saw the end. Because um, I'm like, this is <laughs> this is just, uh, anyway, maybe I was just a... Um, I was born to be an engineer or something. I don't know. Anyway, I got up and walked off. <laughs> and um, anyway, yeah, I know it's not. It doesn't sound inspiring, but when I actually came back to rewatch it again, I'm like, I can see why people make a big deal out of this movie. I can see why it's a classic. Um, for all of the yeah. little issues that it that it has, it's um, it is it's still a fun fun movie in air quotes. Fun if you think disasters are fun to watch, but you know, so to speak, fun to watch. Yeah, I I also was a kid. I went to see it when it was released, and so I was just about 12 years old, and I think it, in some ways, scarred me for life. Because, <laughs> Hooray! <laughs> yay! But, uh, yeah, I mean, if, if people have listened to some of our other uh, um, incomparable episodes from about movies from this era, and I, I call it, it's like teens you know, special podcast therapy group to watch a film, you know, she was too afraid to see when she was little. Well, this one I actually saw. Um, I did like it. Like, I definitely, but uh, I mean, I know things are a lot different today and a 12-year-old probably wouldn't be that be, uh, blown away by the Poseidon adventure. But at the time, I mean, when I think about, you know, there's dead bodies, <laughs> There's nightmare material. There are a lot of dead bodies, more than I remember. Many bodies. Yeah, I don't think I remember that. That's true. I yeah. sort of skated right by that when I was a kid. Yeah. And uh, pretty soon they're gonna like, run out of coats to throw over their faces. <laughs> I kept thinking about that. Like, don't you might need that coat. Don't right? waste it on throwing it over some dead person's face. Come on. But that's not what I thought when I was twelve. When I was twelve, I was like, oh my god, you know, they're burned and they're. They're bleeding and they're just dying left and right, and um, th so that was that was a, a bit traumatic, I would say. And but I, I think for me that as a kid, the the formula worked, you know, because I cared about the characters, but I didn't have to get too involved in any backstory. The um, the first uh, part of the movie is only twenty four minutes, and. It's it goes by fast. They introduce, you know, they have their their group of ten, so not quite a a little more than a handful of people who uh, make it, you know, into the next part of the movie. But they they introduce them all very economically, plus the 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 doomed uh, bridge and engineering officers. So. Perhaps I, um, not economically enough. I feel like this 30 minutes in the opening could probably have been trimmed down a little and, and might have been if this was remade today. But, uh, you know, I, see, I, I'm sure mileage yeah, may that's vary interesting. on that. Yeah, I, 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 so, yeah, I think it's economical when you compare it to other disaster films and even, you know, of the modern era. Um, let's get right to the ship turning over, I think, is is the right attitude. Um I did rewatch Airport, which I hadn't seen since the 70s, because it's sort of mentioned as like this airport in 1970 was the, the film that like launched this genre. 
And it's nothing like the Poseidon Adventure, except that it has a lot of recognizable stars. Um, it takes an hour and a half before anything happens on that airplane. <laughs> so <laughs> it's more of a soap opera. Okay, you know, so maybe too. this is economical. That, uh, yeah, that's <laughs> relatively <a> big speaking. <laughs> I mean, honestly, because because I was waiting for what I know happens. It felt like it was taking him a long time to get through the opening. And I also felt like, I mean, the soap opera part and the sort of cheesy TV movie part is very definitely, we are going, here, let's meet our characters and let's see how they interact before the terrible thing happens. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, there's Leslie Nielsen and his whole crew, all of whom are going to die soon. Spoiler yeah. alert. Uh, and so it felt like it was taking a while, but I think that's mostly the anticipation of somebody who's seen the movie before and who kind of wants to get to the good, to the good parts. I didn't find it too long. I, I was like, fine. And if you compare it to like the Titanic, we have a whole lot of soap opera before we start <laughs> well, sinking true. the ships. So <laughs> no, I, I don't think yeah. it ever gets boring necessarily. And and it does go a long ways towards telling us who's who. Um, you know, I, I feel like that could probably have been done in, in slightly less time. But sure. it, never, it never really drags. Um, yeah. You know, it just feels maybe just a hair on the long side for what it's trying to do. I mean, they could, they could certainly have introduced... Uh, some of these, um, you know, things about the different characters and the fact that the Rosens are going to see their grandson, that could all have been done, you know, as they're traveling through the ship and, and stuff like that and, and might have made it less of a, a contrast between the two parts. But it, it's still good stuff. It's just. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think what we think of as cheesy um, soap opera establishing script was not that cheesy back then. Well, yeah, it's, it's fair. <laughs> it was high drama. I, I certainly don't remember it having been cheesy, although, of course, I was somewhere between the age of 8 and 15, probably, yeah. and I watched this a million times. <laughs> so, you know, cheese has, has aged over time. But Yeah. I think yeah. it was pretty straightforward storytelling. I mean, remember, we, we compared it to TV movies, which is appropriate, but remember that TV movies were just kind of starting at that point. So it was That's pretty right. straightforward storytelling. And you, I mean, you do have to establish the relationships, not only between the characters who know each other, but the ones who don't. I think for me, the, only, the part of it that really threw me off was that it kind of takes place, it begins in the morning of a day, and then the climactic scene is that night in the ballroom. And so I'm a little unclear like the the pace at which the day moves by while we're meeting all these people is is sort of a little unclear to me. Oh, the band is rehearsing now. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and and I I guess it's just a little bit of a pacing thing. But I don't know that I can't like look at it and say, well, these this scene needs to be gotten rid of because I think we need yeah. the scene with the crew on the bridge. And why does it happen? Not only do we have the sort of evil uh, ship owner who wants to move fast, but oh, by the way, there's an, there's an earthquake as well, a sequence as <laughs> well, uh, which causes Leslie Nielsen to tell them to go hard left, you know, toward the seaquake. I don't, anyways, uh, yeah. I guess cause you can't outrun it, but uh, yeah. So I wouldn't, I, I couldn't think of specific scenes to cut again. I think for me, it was just sort of anticipation of, well, and, I, and, you know, I'm eager to, like, look at what we know about the characters before this traumatic thing happens. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember, and I knew the actors that I recognized, which was most of them, I'm trying to remember, okay, wait, who's going to be in the group that is going to fight through the ship and who is going to die almost instantly? And and mostly I remembered that, but I was sort of focused on that while I was watching yeah. the beginning part. Well, and you do get some great stuff in this opening 30. You get yeah. you know, Hackman describing himself as the best kind of preacher, angry, rebellious, <laughs> critical, a renegade, which is is fantastic. Uh, you get yeah. Leslie Nielsen uh, 
you know, presaging maybe some of his naked gun work with his deadpan delivery of you irresponsible oh, yeah. bastard, which is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, and 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 uh, you get Eric Shea, um, you know, the, adorable the younger brother of Chris Shea, the original Linus from a Charlie Brown Christmas. Uh, jumping up and down on his bed and telling his sister to shove it, which is great. Although, kids, if you're ever on a cruise ship and the third engineer promises to take you to Broadway and show you the <laughs> propeller shaft, don't go. <laughs> go. Go to the fiery sermon about how God helps those who help themselves instead. It's just, it's a bad idea. Um, well, yeah, and I, I want to point out some of the first 24 minutes is the opening credits, which are all showing the ship itself in the highest seas, you know, you know, t tossing and turning, which is very ironic. Um, I think, Shelley, to your point about how is it one day? It's actually two days, I think, because I think so too, the, yeah. the day that the ship is, you know, is making everybody seasick and then uh. and nobody is sitting out on the deck like the Rosens on that day. It's not till the next oh, that's day. That's right. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I see. I got, I got my time all signatures all messed up in my head. No, it's okay. Pretty, it just yeah. was, but I like the ship. I like the shots of the ship. Um, I think it's kind of funny this time for the first time I realized like this super dramatic opening with this, the rough seas and it's not the rough seas that flip the ship over. <laughs> yeah, it has it has nothing to do with what ends up happening. And and right. the funny thing about the whole Mr. Lenarcos plot line is I feel like the fact that he makes them go full ahead and not take on a ton of ballast immediately probably has nothing to do with the fact that they flip exactly. either, ultimately. Uh, and, and there yeah. are other movies uh, from, uh, what's the name of it? I, I can't remember, but there's, there's at least one other movie, probably more, uh, ocean-going movies of, of, of a previous generation where that is the plot, where the, the ship owner is trying to get the cat. And I think actually that was in the real Titanic story. I think that was part of it but but where the ship owner is trying to get the captain to do something that the captain doesn't want to do for safety yeah. reasons and so that's a story but it doesn't go anywhere because that's not what capsizes them mm -hmm. i don't know i think we should it's hear from our, our chief engineer mm -hmm. on this <laughs> yeah yeah look uh, honestly chief, I, what I, can you do about these stabilizers I, man? <laughs> well you know Hmm. I mean, the stabilizers for one thing is not going to, yeah, it's that, that it's interesting. Like you say, it starts out in the rough seas and you think, oh yeah, that's got something to do with it, but it's got nothing to do with it. And then the whole, you know, sea quake thing. And can I just say, while it occurs to me, um, what captain says go left? It's port or starboard. <laughs> what, what? Right, right. <laughs> I can't, I just can't, I couldn't. Anyway, it's fine. It's fine. It was hey, Leslie Nielsen. You know, we're a movie going audience in 1972. We might not be up on our seat. But he had uh, just jargon. been told that the wall of water was on the port side. And then he goes, yes. go left. You know, it's the heat of the moment. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway. Um, all right. So um, on the Titanic. Yeah, that's true. Actually, because um, the White Star Line were trying to actually um, prove that their ships were the fastest. And it was like a marketing thing. Uh, so that's actually a real thing. But whether or not that contributed to the disaster is, you know, yeah, it's not I don't think it's really a significant contributor to to what happened on the Titanic. Uh, and certainly, like what happened here, if they'd been going slower, they still would have, you know, been hit by the, the tsunami wave. So I don't think that would have made any difference. As far as the ballast goes, well, 
So ballast, um, do we all know what ballast is in, on a ship? I'm just curious. No, no? you can tell us. Wait. I don't. <laughs> it's weight. Uh, yeah, it's weight, exactly. Yeah. But it's but um, for, for a very, very long time, probably since like steamships and so on, though, maybe not steamships, but a bit after that, um, there's ballast pumps. What they'll do is they'll fill the, uh, the outer tank. Uh, they'll fill the tanks in the bottom of the ship, the right in the bottom of the hull, uh, with uh, with water, and then that will essentially help the ship to be more stable, uh, particularly uh, when it's going through rough seas. But um, so right, and that's why the the issue at the at the top is not that the stabilizers are off; it's that there's not enough ballast, and their pump is broken. They're trying to fix the pump. Yes, exactly. To bring on the ballast. Yeah. So is exactly right. So uh, in in rough seas, if you don't have enough ballast, then the ship does ha- run the risk of uh, of tipping over in rough seas, which is it, which is technically true. Um, but it's the sort of thing that, uh, and of course, the more ballast you have, you know, the deeper it sits in the water. Therefore, you know, the slower it will ultimately go. But it's not it's not a huge I say it's not a huge uh, restriction to speed or anything. So it has an impact, but it's not massive. So I don't know. I found that whole thing to be a little bit of an odd conversation. If you what did they say it was sixty feet high the the wave or something like that? I mean, if if you I get think he says that's the, the peak of of waves that he's he's oh, right. has experience with. But I mean, if a wave is that, the kid says they can go to three hundred feet or something ridiculous. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Leslie Nielsen calms him down and says sixty is probably about the peak of what I've, yeah, I've heard okay. of. So, but I mean, if you had more ballast or less ballast, it's not going to make any difference if you get hit by a wave that that is that high. It's like the ballast and it's not going to save you and, and stabilizers. Um, they they hate using stabilizers because they because the stabilizers like a kind of like a big uh, airfoil thing underneath the ship um, that's designed to or, or it depends on the design but it slows the ship down but it's designed to increase the horizontal profile so that the waves don't cause it to bob around so much um, in really rough seas and it slows you down you can't go anywhere near as fast but it's for passenger comfort or whatever they say you know so mm-hmm. it, it's not going to stop the ship from. Like if you get hit by a rogue wave like that, it's like, you know, okay. It's not going to help you. <laughs> right. Although it, his, his, uh, his instinct to turn hard to port uh, Thank you. is probably the right one because you want to hit that wave head on. You don't want it to hit your broadside. That's what's going to tip you. And totally. the, the issue is he can't turn quick enough, which I have issues with that as well because they do spot the, uh, the wave on the radar very, very early, long before yeah. he decides he should probably turn towards it. And that seems like the first thing you would do, seeing something that size off of the port bow. That's my question, too, about the radar. Can mm. you see a wave on radar? I wouldn't have no generally not and if you did um so cuz I mean for radar to work it's got to bounce off of something conductive and I mean yes this water's conductive so it should bounce off of it but I mean generally radar's useless at low angles um because mm-hmm. there's too many other things um I guess if you're out at sea and maybe uh, I'm <laughs> I've I yeah I, I don't know but I mean if it, it, not for sure anyway I, I've never heard of radar yeah. detecting a, a towering wave before. The question I have about the wave is: Do tsunamis break? Because this one is definitely breaking, and, <laughs> and it, it makes me think that this is not really a tsunami we're seeing. It's just a zoomed-in footage of a wave off of Santa Monica that we're seeing. <laughs> <laughs> Probably was. Now I, I guess the thing with that is because uh, I. When I did the um, when I did the episode about Fukushima on causality, um, I did a lot of reading up on tsunami. So I'm cheating a bit here, but uh, the the problem is when you're out in the deep water, you'll barely notice it. It'll be just like a little ripple. Uh, it needs shallow water in order to actually convert that energy into something that's really high. Right. And so he says mm-hmm. in there, oh, it's building in the shallows. It's like, okay, 
but is your boat in the shallows? Because if your boat's in the shallows and the tsunami wave hits the shallows, then it will probably be a much bigger wave when it hits you. Don't even, you know, it might even break, but um, maybe, but I doubt it because in order for it to break, most tsunami waves, when they compress up on the shoreline, then then they break as they hit the shoreline. Um, so unless the boat was actually sitting right there at the shore, it should not have had a wave anywhere near that high. Uh, and and most boat um, like ships out in the ocean, a tsunami wave goes past. I don't even notice it because because uh, the water's so deep, all that energy is dissipated over a huge depth. So it's just a tiny ripple. It's only a problem when it gets to the shore and the shallows, and they weren't near the shore. So I appreciate them saying that because they didn't have to add that bit about the shallows to add that bit of hmm. realism. But that said, it's based on the earlier discussion. They're probably several days out of Athens still. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, where are the shallows out there in the middle of the Atlantic? <laughs> right. Yeah. So the movie is over before it begins, essentially. <laughs> yeah. No, it's ruined. This movie's ruined Well, for and me. never mind the Terrible. pace of the lookout calls and sees the wave. The captain walks really slowly across to talk to him. <laughs> yes. no and by deal. then, that wave is like right there. <laughs> yeah. It's a very scary looking wave. And I and think... a quick shot. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there's only so... I mean... Yeah, I mean, this is before this when we still said tidal wave for what is what is a tsunami. Um, And uh, that back then, the the word tsunami was not like widely in currency. But uh, the um, I was noticing I was looking at some clips of the the remake 2006 remake, which I'm otherwise not watching or recommending. But one thing they do I thought was interesting um, is they the wave comes up and covers the moon partially so that you can see like something behind it to get that feeling of like this is a big, big wave. So, um, but yeah, let's not even discuss whether that's possible. Either. <laughs> <laughs> I think, though, like the shot, the tension, so mm-hmm. that they did really well. And mm-hmm. the whole I found the whole movie, the the water being the, it, the same in the Titanic movie with the oncoming water is always this point of tension that really drives the story and the action forward. And it starts mm-hmm. with that wave kind of coming in and crashing. Yeah. And you're just like. We're going to tip. Yeah. <laughs> it's very exciting. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops. And neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. So well, let's talk a little bit about the tipping, <laughs> the, the scene. I mean, that scene in the ballroom with the, t- with the, as it's turning over, and that's the big scene of the movie, which they actually used in the trailer. So people knew that was going to happen. Um, and and also to the you know the question spoilers the ship turns upside down even the poster showed the ship upside down so so um right now questioning why my parents let me go see this but whatever <laughs> well, first they um, set, they set the stage with some truly terrifying uh, groovy dancing of the 70s style <laughs> 
And of course, uh, the the song from the Poseidon Adventure, as it is titled, uh, before yes. it had become the morning after, um, which yeah, uh, makes me want to tip over and and drown. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was such a huge hit that was yes. on the radio, I, and all I think the that's time. why I remember feeling like they repeat the song in the movie, which they do not. Well, they do but actually. It was, it she was, practices do. it. And then yeah, she but, sings but it later. like twice, but but it's, it was an yeah. enormous hit, and I think it was just sort of I probably heard the song before I saw the movie, and so I feel like that song was drummed into my head at some point. Yeah, I, I had a recollection yeah. of them taking off in the helicopter to that song as they as yeah. they, they flew off, but uh, um, but that's skipping ahead um, <laughs> a lot. So, can I can I ask to... a question about that the the tipping over scene? Yes. Like, how did they film it? Because I, yeah. I have my notes. The fall yeah. acting is great in this. Like, yeah. hello, everyone <laughs> falling. You're doing right. an awesome job. And I was going, are they actually like they are? They just like fake falling and they're moving the camera or did they actually tip some floors? Does anyone know that? They tipped. They tipped yeah. the floors. Um, not they couldn't tip them, you know, to 90 <laughs> down. degrees or 180. <laughs> but they tipped them um, uh, using like. A forklift, a forty-five degree angle. So there was a certain amount of actual physics. Really, in the that seems unnecessary, but that's impressive. But yeah, yeah. It just it did feel like they're these people are falling uh, like pretty realistically. Right. I like to imagine they didn't tell the actors exactly when it was going to happen, and they just <laughs> punched the button. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then they intersperse it with these shots of just people with their arms up, flying by the cameras, going ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I think that is a classic, uh, you know, genre moment of sure. all, you know, just close ups, cameras all over the place showing mayhem and, yeah. and terror. It's very effective, uh, um, yeah. especially the, the, the scene where the guy falls to the, I guess, what's the side of the ship at that point, And then the piano falls on top of yes. it, which is <laughs> fortunately not as graphic as it could be. But man, uh-huh. it's, it's visceral. Yeah, it is. I, I I jump every time. I still I've watched it several times, even just recently, and I'm like, ah, oh, I would like to skip over that because it it hurts to see that. Um, and uh, yeah, and again, you know, talk about dead bodies. There are yeah. a lot of them. Um, also, the, the genius of the production design at um, building those giant ornate glass lights. Yes. That, that the falling scene concludes with the fellow falling off of a table, oh God. you know, uh, mm-hmm. back, just, just landing on his back on the lights. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of electrical reaction to that is, is fantastic. Yeah. It's such a perfect capper on top of that scene. Yeah. It was done so well, that bit. The, that was a great moment. And it, and they could show that in the trailers. It really didn't give anything away. And you really kind of want to watch it twice, at least to see, you know, like watch it once in the theater when you already kind of know that's coming and, and pay attention to some of the details. This is special effects, 1970s style, real effects. Right. Um, and, mm-hmm. and the fact that it that holds up 50 years later is, is really a testament to how, what a great job they did on it. Yeah. There's a lot of movies from 1972 that do not hold up this way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh you know just to throw in a little more production trivia the budget for Poseidon Adventure was just under five million dollars wow. which was a lot it felt like to them then but um relative to the Titanic budget even correct it for the inflation mm-hmm. <laughs> calculation it's like 
1997, five million dollars would have been twenty million dollars. Five and, million feels like nothing for this. The, and the amount of work the they did on the was sets. Two hundred million. So they've spent ten times as much money on the Titanic. And uh, I, I mean, one thing is pretty clear: they didn't pay actors the way they do. Now. No, well, clearly not. I mean, we, we <laughs> haven't true. really talked about the the all star cast of this movie. Yes, this let's but do. But it feels like they would have at least commanded a half of that. Five million. <laughs> we have five Oscar winners to begin with, plus people who either would go on to or had had careers on TV and in movies. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going to recognize somebody, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Gene Hackman and Ernest Borgnine alone. Um, which, uh, th- what brilliant casting! I mean, if you've got a movie that's ninety percent people shouting at each other, so much shouting, you're not wrong. Oh my god! They had wanted Burt Lancaster for the Reverend part, which would also have been very shouty, as mm-hmm. well as just sort of more because he's more physically intimidating than Gene Hackman, although he's older, and and Lancaster turned him down. I mean, obviously, this was my first introduction to, to to Hackman and Borgnine, and and even at seven or eight years old, I was like, "Ah, oh, this is a this is a tour de force of shoutiness." <laughs> but also, these guys these guys get, could each individually carry a movie, you know, with, without you know having seen them in anything else, and have and have and, have. and, and have Hackman had just won his Oscar for French Connection, mm-hmm. and Borgnine had been either lead or second banana in movies for fifteen twenty years as you know tough guys and and the like. He also won Best Actor. He did um, for Marty. In it, for 50s. Marty in 1955. So you have two two shouty Best Actor shouty Best Actor winners. winners. So the others all won for Best Supporting Actor. You have Shelley Winters, who was nominated a number of times, and who I like to blow people's minds by showing them pictures of Shelley Winters in the late 40s when she mm-hmm. was just starting out and as an actress, and she's a bit of a bombshell sex mm-hmm. pot, if you want to use that term. Uh, and I think how she plays this part and I think she's pretty brave and she's only 52 at this point like she's a lot younger than Jack Albertson who's playing her husband also an Oscar Mm -hmm. winner supporting Mm -hmm. Oscar winner and I she just is very game about the whole thing and I just and she was the one that was for this movie nominated for best supporting actor having like I say already won a couple of times as well Um, she should because she has the best scene in the movie yeah And then you have uh, Red Buttons and Jack Albertson, who both won for Best Supporting Actor. Jack Albertson would go on to co-star in Chico and the Man, a 70s TV series. Red Buttons was like all over, he was like a comic and all over Dean Martin mm-hmm. roasts and stuff. And and, 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 and like Shelley Winters, was the was like a talk professional talk show guest. Both of them would like in the 70s and 80s go on talk shows and just be funny in very different ways. Uh, but it's it's interesting to see them both, you know, working hard in this movie yeah yeah and then there's there's uh roddy mcdowell who's robbed for planet of the apes should have definitely won best actor for that he's kind of robbed here too he's he's not really given enough to do in my opinion yeah underutilized (laughs) underutilized roddy mcdowell even before he killed him off he he was just not given much to do and i thought he was interesting yeah, and what is his character, really? He seems to be sort of shy, but yeah, it feels like they could have done more with him. He had been a child but actor. He's into this oh. new groovy music over the, the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All the way back to Lassie came, come home when he was a little kid, and then he and Also, he, he, he thinks tying a sheet around the top of a Christmas tree is a suitable way to anchor it for people to climb up. <laughs> but Jane, Jane Hackman apparently believes it's okay, because he's like, sure, that's fine, no problem. <laughs> yeah. You can trust him. He's got that accent. Mm. Pamela Sue Martin became... You know, like, a very, like I remember f- feeling like, I guess I didn't know who she was when I first saw it, but she was 
you know, uh, television. Up and comer at this point. Up and comer. She became you know, a like, big deal in Dynasty absolutely. 10 years a, later. A teenage, uh, you know, a teenage phenom. And she was Nancy Drew at one oh, point. Oh, was she? Which is, yes. Um, and, uh, and Carol Lindley was, um, I think she was the first uh, cover model on Seventeen magazine, um, but she, she had that, a long that acting me, career, which I find hard to yeah. believe because she is not good at this. No, she did a ton of TV <laughs> movies. You talk about cheesy TV movies; that was okay. kind of her thing. Yeah, maybe yeah. maybe she works in that environment. But she's but still here, pretty young in yeah. this. Yeah, so maybe she got better. She already had a fairly uh, sizable filmography before this. I looked last night. And... She did from the mid '60s on. Yeah, and yeah. she. I think to be fair, like I agree, she's not very good. But I also think the lines she's given are terrible. She only yeah, gets to say right. really awful things the whole time. Well, she's supposed to be hippy dippy, and she really leans into that. Um, I feel like she may have already had the brown acid a couple of times, and <laughs> has 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 uh, sort of been permanently scarred by that. But I mean, yeah. she's she's also supposed to be playing somebody who's clearly in shock, and you know, having great difficulty dealing with the death of her brother, and having to climb up ladders and smokestacks and that sort of thing. So I'm willing to forgive, but uh, her screams were okay. They were, and, and it's tough you know. to hold your own against the the shouty. Uh, you know, <laughs> mastery true. that's going on around her. So, and then of course you've got Stella Stevens, who's no slouch in the in the shout department herself. Indeed, and she was pockets. Given, she was given many lines to shout, and she's like Ernest. I could imagine the audition, like okay, you and Ernest Borgnine shout at each other, just shout because yeah, you don't have to shout. <laughs> Barely you do. <laughs> and then she she's proceeds like, you know, to shout back at him. But anyhow, yes, you yes. son of a bitch, go help him. I love her though. She's great in this. She is she is spicy. Uh, the hooker with the heart of gold, which really she doesn't have a heart of gold. She's actually kind of <laughs> awful, but but she's great in this. And and you know Leslie Nielsen. This is bef- obviously long before he becomes the the parody di- disaster guy. Um, I mean, this is where he, he got the gig, right? I mean, I, I don't know. Like, it, it feels like when they picked him up for airplay, and this is this is what they were playing. Yeah, it, it feels like it's very much like so. People who would have seen him as this guy in airplane mm-hmm. would have gone, "Oh wow!" This is... <laughs> <laughs> Just like George Kennedy was in two of the airport movies, he kind of played yeah. that role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I do kind of wonder also whether the whole uh, "Do you like movies about gladiators?" scene was based <laughs> on the uh, third engineer showing. <laughs> Uh, the young fellow, the propeller shaft. It just <laughs> feels like it could have been a follow-on from that. Well, what do you say we get to... Uh, to I think it's time uh, to make our way to the galley. It's time for disaster. Uh, time for, you know, get that Christmas tree going. And uh, I love... I mean, I did love all the little touches like that even when I was a kid, especially like... Oh, they would climb up a tr- Christmas tree. Yes, they get to this one little spot, this little overhang, and that is like so underscoring the fact that they're going in the opposite direction from right. bottom well, to top. It was an overhang. Now it's an underhang. Um, <laughs> that was. I thought. I was like, oh, that's convenient. But the the brilliance of this movie for me, the thing that always has fascinated me about it, is that if there are two things that kind of unnerve me more than anything else, it's uh well it's kind of one thing um but things that are totally normal things but that are somewhere where they're not or or in a in a state that they shouldn't normally be in mm-hmm. uh like for instance things that are upside down um 
Uh, just hold a, a kind of a real unnerving fascination for me and, and things that are underwater uh, as well, yeah. you know, that look different because they happen to be under a certain amount of water. And, and this movie is so full of those things. And uh, I, the genius of having, um, you know, everything be upside down and them having to go to the bottom of the ship to get to the top is, is so great. Uh, and it, mm -hmm. it, it actually makes me wonder if, the impetus for this movie wasn't somebody thinking about, you know, what would it be like if everything was upside down and how would you get around? And like, <laughs> and, and the fact that, you know, the only real setting you could put that in is maybe like a ship that flips over might've been a follow on as opposed to the real impetus of the, of, cause, cause it's, it's really the stroke of genius for this movie for me. Imagine somebody putting the film in upside down and going, Whoa, that's a good idea. <laughs> do that. Well, I do think that the idea came from, um, you know, from the author of the original novel, um, The Poseidon Adventure, he had been, years before, had been a passenger on the Queen Mary when it was hit by a big wave that tilted the ship such that things went flying. And he, you know, so he had like a little mini experience of the ballroom scene um, being in the, or, you know, the dining room. Queen Mary being a, another star of this film, by the way. Yes, which is interesting. Filmed. Like yeah. they did, you know, and uh, by the way, much bigger than the Titanic. Um, so uh, still and a, a shorter movie. a very creepy movie. setting, by the way. If you ever have the opportunity, yeah. if you're in Long Beach, to to go aboard the Queen Mary and uh, tour through the bowels of the ship, it is a, a fascinating. I'd uh, like to do that. And I've heard it's haunted. Well, they do have they do have ghost tours that go off mm -hmm. every night, and and actually a portion of the ship is now a hotel, so you can stay there overnight and then take a ghost tour and then you know listen to the ship creak around you as you drift off to sleep. But uh, yeah, just wandering through this gigantic, um, largely deserted uh, relic of a time gone by is is truly fascinating, and I, I very much recommend it. Yeah, well, I do think. Uh... That sounds like another disaster movie waiting to happen. <laughs> but with the Queen Mary, Steve. Um, the, when it got hit by the rogue wave, so the story goes, it was in the 40s, I think it was, it was tilted to something like 50 something degrees. Uh, so mm -hmm. I think uh, that they figured out afterwards and it was, they, they, the, the discussion was that if it had been another three or four degrees, it would have actually capsized. So it came so damn near close to actually capsizing. And um, yeah, and the author oh, of the wow. book was actually on, on the boat at the time. I think that was... Yeah, but what, I mean, and that, I mean, the, the book was written in the 60s. So, I mean, obviously that festered a while in, in the back of his mind before he wrote it in a book. So, uh, but anyway, mm -hmm. the ship survived. It really survived. And, and it's good that they had the, that as a set um, they could use, which they did all that early stuff um, before the ship flipped over. <laughs> they didn't actually flip it over. Which uh, maybe today James Cameron would want to do, but never give him a <laughs> credit card. See what he does with it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, I thought we'd just like sort of step through the scary parts um, and uh, see if anybody has some favorites or things that they thought were especially scary. Um, I I mean the second big dramatic beat is when um, they have gotten to the top of the Christmas tree that are our band of 10 and um, something explodes in the engines and it, it, it makes the 
water starts coming into the ballroom and the fire starts and it's and never that's entirely all... clear what keeps exploding i feel like the script in uh-huh. various parts yeah. just has that also, that direction something explodes <laughs> can yeah. things explode like they keep showing explosions underwater and i was like is does that happen mm-hmm. but i then i just yeah, you'd think it'd be more explodey higher up or lower down that's the case maybe and then there's all mm-hmm. these little fires like everywhere and you're like, yeah, but yeah. that makes sense to me. But it's like the you're, they keep showing the the shot of the ship underwater, and then there's right. like explosions going out into the water, mm. which. But it know. gives them the opportunity to show that uh, that upside down model of the ship mm-hmm. lit by <laughs> mm-hmm. funky colored lights. Yep. You know, a couple more times. It's kind of pinky, blue, green. Yeah, it's very it's awesome. fancy. Yeah, I was a bit confused by the explosion things too because diesel doesn't explode. So if the diesel engines like they're gonna, you know, if it's was it a diesel or was it because it, it looked like it was not a, it did not look like it was a steamship. It, it, no, no. So I don't know. it doesn't really explain that. But I, it, I thought it was a diesel. Diesel doesn't explode. Uh, but then the gas that they used for cooking definitely would. Um, because mm-hmm. you could see when it was going through the kitchen area, there was all those little fires, you know, that, that would be from the gas from the cooking system. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. beyond that, I'm struggling at what else would explode, certainly underwater, unless they had some C4 or something. And I, I, we're carrying C4. Mm, no, probably not. In fact, C4 wouldn't have been invented. It's common on cruise ships. Yeah. Yeah. We take it everywhere. In case yeah. you need it. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, just like big red wheels that make steam shoot out. You got to have a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. I, I also like at that point too with the with they're standing at the top and then they they really hit you home very subtly with the theme of the movie mm-hmm. are we people of action or are we people who just wait to be rescued and hope god will save us or are we gonna right. ask ourselves you know yeah, it's they, very subtle i, I god almost helps didn't those make who it help themselves but yes. also sometimes god just just sacrifices you for no good reason so there's that <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> because god is a prankster but yeah, that that is a, a wonderful scene in the ballroom with uh, the purser played by, you've seen him everywhere in the 1970s character actor Byron Webster, who was also incidentally in Skin Flint, A Country Christmas Carol. So, you know, one degree oh. of separation from the Poseidon adventure. Um, pretty proud of it. Uh, but yeah, he's convinced everybody that the right thing to do is just to stay there in the ballroom. And uh, surely, you know, somebody's going to carve through the hull and get all the way down into the upper part of the ship, you know, before they all drown. Um, and so what they convince maybe how, however many, eight people are that, uh, that make the rest of the journey. And everybody else is still down there. And of course, uh, there's that explosion and then water starts rushing in and everybody is uh, in utter bedlam trying to make their way to the Christmas tree, which naturally, you know, they get to the top and it immediately tips over and everybody falls back to their doom. Um, and I have to say, I probably shouldn't feel a sense of satisfaction when they all <laughs> get swallowed up, but I totally do. It's like, you dummies, yeah, you should have gone Now you want to get out. Now you want to go up the tree. Oh, great. Yeah. Bad timing, guys. And we don't actually see Gene Hackman push it over when they get to the top. <laughs> <laughs> but we know it happened. Yeah. No, that's true. That I, I Again, as a kid, I was like, first of all, I I thought, well... You know, I know how the movie is supposed to go, but I'm thinking I I might wait because who knows what's going to happen if you try to get out of here. And this is like before there was we saw Titanic or anything else, like with water, like creeping up every level. Even in this movie, you don't see that until much later, actually. It's kind of surprising. I mean, in the plot, there's I... 
if I would have felt like, and I did feel like as a kid, like if they weren't already submerged in water in the ballroom, why maybe they, they're, you know, they're set until somebody rescues them. So anyway, I would have been one of the ones who was, I was not, <laughs> I probably would not have made it to the Christmas tree myself. I think it comes down to whether you trust Gene Hackman as your leader, because yeah. <laughs> I, I would have been looking at, who is that guy? He's kind of a shouty preacher talking he's about so winners. Shouty. When I, you know, right. Very and, and I, I don't know if I, and he's fighting with Ernest Borgnine. And... <laughs> well, I know he's angry, rebellious, critical, and a renegade. That, that much is clear. <laughs> <laughs> but he's also right. <laughs> well, he's making the point, you know, you can, yeah. you can sit here and see what happens, or you can make an effort to get yourself you know, somewhere that's more likely to, to be close to where the rescue effort is going to come from, which makes perfect sense. Um, but yeah, I, I understand where the people that stick around are coming from, particularly those who are injured. You know, you're not going to go crawling yeah. through the ship. Um, and then, of course, Byron Webster, who is so pompous, which he's it's a very short uh, performance from from him, but he's wonderful in it. And he, he is yeah. the recipient of that that fantastic line from Gene Hackman. It is true, you pompous ass. Which, <laughs> 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 but he he seems like he knows what he's talking about. Clearly, he doesn't. But he's he's he seems like the sort of guy you'd hang around with because he says yeah. maybe he knows what he's talking about. Yeah. So yeah. So then begins the part of the movie which goes like, let's get somewhere we can't get through here. Let's have some shouting. Let's get through this way or another way. Somebody dies. Let's repeat. I mean, that's pretty much, uh, you know, with and, and with bigger stakes each right. time, I would say, because mm -hmm. they do knock off acres like that. Um, it, it's various set pieces that you might expect to see in a ship, but upended. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is is great. You know, you get the I, what I'm assuming is the smokestacks or maybe it's just the boilers that they have to go up slash down in, which is where Acres meets his untimely demise. Well, you knew someone's going to fall at that point. You don't have yeah. like that beautiful long stairway without dropping someone down. Right. And Rogo <laughs> tried to save him, which was He really did. I forgot People that. are going to die and you have to pace the deaths through the movie. And the question <laughs> is, given the number of people you start with, how many are going to survive and also who? And if you yeah. haven't seen the movie, I mean, I don't know if I did this when I was a kid. I did mostly remember who's, I certainly remember a couple of the deaths pretty vividly, but you're sort of making odds and you're, well, they're not going to kill the little kid. Who else aren't they going to kill? And, you know, you just sort of play the odds as an audience member. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Yeah. That scene is yeah. horribly unfair to Mr. Rogo, too. I always, mm -hmm. yes. I always thought it was a great injustice that nobody ever got the point across to Gene Hackman that he had dove in to try and save. Right. To yeah. Save I was mad about that. Yeah. And it's like, where yeah, were you? He's, 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 he's challenged. Like, where, where were you? He's like, in the water trying to save him. Yeah. Where were you? Hanging <laughs> off a ladder? Gee, right. thanks. I, <laughs> I dove off the ladder and tried to, to swim down and find the guy. And, and uh yeah, but yeah. Uh, he, he shuts up the kid before he can tell him. And I, I always thought that was unfair. Agreed. Agreed. That was, I think Rogo comes off best after on a second viewing, you know, mm -hmm. but. Uh, also, I'm like, Rogo's pretty cut. Yeah. <laughs> Just from the, uh, I'm watching this for pretty people sometimes. I was like, dude, you are cut. You could. Um, wow, I've nice never work. heard anybody refer to Ernest Borgnine as <laughs> pretty people. But he's got like some good muscles going on and stuff when he's doing a lot of this stuff. I'm like, he does not look like he would be as strong as he is, I think. And I was like, that surprised yeah. me. Uh, he, he, he was around, you know, 
for a while as the the big tough guy and the guy who can. Mm-hmm. He's in his mid fifties at this point, so you know. Yeah. Well, yeah. he's, he's not a small guy. He's yeah. definitely, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, and uh, yeah, another thing that they say about the making of this film is the actors got increasingly competitive doing their <laughs> own think? stunts. Oh, I shout the loudest. <laughs> yeah, no, but the shouting is not, it's technically not a stuntman's job. <laughs> there's dangling, there's climbing, there's swimming, there's hey, all the these things. The way Hackman and Borgnine do it, this is a stunt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there's some, some wonderful set pieces here. I think my, my personal favorite is when, uh, I cannot remember his name, but the young kid played by Played by uh, yeah. Eric Shea. Robin. Robin. Robin, Robin. that's it. Yes. He, shove it. He, Robin, shove it. Whatever is Shelby is his at, last At name. some point while, uh, while Hackman forges ahead um, to try to find the engine room, they're all um, going around trying to find useful things. <laughs> and at some point during that, uh, the kid realizes he has to use the John. So he goes and finds the gentleman's room and he goes in and... and Everything is upside down, and all the urinals are about ten feet above his head. Uh, and it is it is hilarious that and that water's scene, dripping, and of course it's all dripping yeah, out. Right. <laughs> yeah, that uh, that was re- memorable as a kid. That was definitely one of totally the memorable. And then scenes of course that's that, um, that leads to him being somewhat left behind, and Gene Hackman has to go get him. And that's the 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 immediately following scene is exceedingly memorable, where the water that we've been seeing rising up as they go from deck to deck uh, finally busts through on the deck that they're on. And then you see uh, a, a, a cramped corridor with a wave coming down it and the two of them mm-hmm. being blasted forward <laughs> is, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful tense scene. Mm-hmm. So tense. Yeah. And, and that actually reminds me of another engineering question I have is they constantly going through and undoing, uh, you know, sealed doors. Yeah. Um, do, should they be sealing them back up? I would have. a couple times where I'm, right? I would have. Okay. If you could. There is a point where they go through a hatch and they do close it behind them. But yeah, yeah there's a lot of places where they don't. <laughs> yeah, I counted that one too. I think it was just the one. So it was like, good job. This one. Um, you probably <laughs> should have done the others. But I mean, also some of those, um, some of those are actually only openable from one side. And I was sort of thinking about like the, the the problem of that wouldn't that be annoying to actually climb up like the part of the exhaust stack and come out that little um, side passageway and then find you couldn't open it because the bulkhead is actually bolted from the other side that would be immensely frustrating. <laughs> fortunately, fortunately they didn't write themselves into that dead end. But I mean, right. <laughs> there are a few places where you think that's going to happen. Like they've, yeah. they've yeah. finished crawling through the the, the smokestack and they crawl through another uh, ventilation tunnel and you get to the end and there's a grate, um, which you don't actually see Gene Hackman kick through. And, and for, for a bit there, you think he's going to be stuck behind that. And you're like, oh God, how horrible must that be? <laughs> yeah, just like a little yeah. mesh thing and you can't get through it after all this effort you've right. taken. You can see the other side. You just right. can't get there. Well, the other thing, yeah. just on the water and the, the water following them gushing through the ship and everything, one of the things that con- contrasting with, with Titanic, I thought Titanic was, in many ways, it's almost more dramatic to see the water level rising steadily and creepily in a lot of those scenes. Whereas in, in this mm-hmm. in this film, it was all it always seemed to be gushing or exploding in. It never seemed to trickle in. And I, I just thought that was a bit odd because if you if, if it's sinking, it's going to trickle in quite a bit, and you might see points where it's gushing in where there's, where there's a breach or something. But in this movie, every single scene where the water's ingressing, it it's just 
it's exploding into the room, it looks like. And um, I don't know. It just felt it felt weird. But anyhow. And if it had happened that way, shouldn't the ship be rocking and you know, listing more each time that happens? Yeah. That's the other thing that's really, you know, because the... The whole the whole ship as as it takes on water from different sides, it's going to start to list and and eventually it would you know it would eventually you would think actually land horizontally like ninety degrees, not one hundred and eighty degrees. So mm-hmm. that's that's the other thing that's really strange. And I might, might let's just save that for the end. I don't want to spoil. I don't want to. <laughs> there is an engineering term you may be unfamiliar with called dramatic license. Oh, that's uh, what I was looking for. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Yes. I, I love though that that water that's rushing in from the floor below slash above. Um, yeah. the, the detail that I've always been impressed by there is that it's not just water; it's got a bunch of crap floating in it. It's like all of the detritus yeah. of the drowned people and their stuff that that uh, that's flooded below them, rising up and chasing them. It's it's great. Yeah. So yeah. So then we get to that point where I do think the water like surprised them slowly was. Gene Hackman coming back and saying like, "Oh, there was a corridor there. A min- you know, when I I was just here, and now it's underwater. So, you know, that of course is setting up the big scene. Um, Fortunately, the I mean, water t- chose that moment to stop rising. <laughs> yes, <laughs> or they would have been in a great deal of trouble. Yeah, and I didn't definitely didn't understand it as a kid why they had to swim, and then." you know, how that would work, that they would then get up a level, go down a level to get up a level. But now, you know, as an adult, I technically understand it, although I still have my questions. But uh, yeah, so amazingly, until this moment, only one person has died from our group. Obviously, a thousand, you know, 1300 other people have Mm -hmm. died. Um, But we don't care about those ones. We have no interest. <laughs> None at all. They didn't climb up the tree. Yeah, they went on board with the tree thing. So that's what How's their own fault? <laughs> that's right. They had their chance. Although they never could all have gotten up that tree, but in any case. Yeah. <laughs> even if they had been w- willing to be patient. I can't, I can't imagine why you would panic in that situation and all try to climb up <laughs> right, at once. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've got this scene where they've got to swim, and that's when we find out the big twist about Shelley Winters, which we did not, I did not see coming, that she was the ladies underwater swimming champion. I didn't even know underwater swimming was a sport. Even back then, I don't remember that. But whatever. She's going to... Um, Some 40 she, years previous, she, yes. she earned that medal and she's kept it. That was the peak of her life, apparently, because she's right. kept that medal ever since. I mean, I would have. But yeah, but onto a cruise ship to wear with her fancy outfit on New Year's Eve. No, yeah. her husband. No, probably. It's was because it, it means Preston? life. Yeah. And yeah. life is very important. I did love that, though, because you're like basically underestimating the middle aged woman. And Uh I was so excited by it. And then I was so mad. (laughs) Uh Well, what I love about it is she offers to help and says, let me do this. Yeah. And Gene Hackman is like, I think I can hold my breath for 35 feet. He's he's like dismissive. He's just incredibly dismissive. And then he goes on and he does it. She's like, fine, whatever. And he gets stuck and she comes and she has to save him at the cost of her life, which is tremendously sad. But I like that if they're going to do that, there's that sort of because we're beginning to make Gene Hackman more 
fallible, you know, because for yeah. a while it's like it's like Ernest Borgnine says, God, he's been right all along, which is super annoying because he's 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 I hate him. Why uh, are you but, so damn sure of yourself? Because I'm right. <laughs> but now he's becoming fallible and it took Shelley Winters saving him. In this instance. Yeah. But then they kill her with a heart attack. I was I like, know. I would rather see her being killed by like cutting herself and bleeding out or falling off something or like she could have still sacrificed herself. But the heart attack was like, that was just like, that's lame. It's a bummer. At least she got a death scene. At least it's not like she Acres did. where she just falls her off in, into the abyss and goes, ah! They would never have done that. Because, uh, her yeah. death scene is amazing, though. She's yeah, got this little. She's great. She's, she's great. awesome. As her heart stops. Oh, it's fantastic. And and uh, you know, I first saw this movie probably forty years ago, and nothing since has ever made me ball in a movie like when she goes out and Gene Hackman starts just, oh God, God, not this woman. It's <laughs> it's it's so heartbreaking, and her 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 her, her acting in that scene is is magnificent as well. Um, you know, yeah. it's it's poor wonderfully done, and you know, Manny's on the other side, yeah. And it, it as far as things that are unfair to Mister Rogo, sending him back and just yeah. telling him, <laughs> don't tell do him anything, <laughs> don't tell him, and he ha- and he ha- so he has to go through again too. But right. He's not a spring chicken, <laughs> and he's yeah. probably yeah. uniquely ill-equipped to hide that information from Manny. Yes, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. He tries his level best, but the best yeah. he can do is she she got through. She got through. Technically true. As his eyes are like darting from side to side furtively. No, she saved the preacher. Um, She did. And, you know, just from the production point of view, they trained with underwater diving, which I at first was like, why? They're not under, they're not breathing underwater. They aren't, but they are right before the scene starts shooting. They're underwater with the breathing apparatus. And then they, I don't know how many takes they had to do. But, you know, that's, again, something like that's real action underwater. Yeah, they're having to do business. They're not just swimming. They're going upward and, you know, finding where they're going to go. And they they Mm -hmm. have them do stuff. And I'm actually remembering now that even though I wasn't probably body counting as a kid, I do remember being shocked at Shelley Winter's death because if you're going to kill somebody, you're not going to kill the middle-aged woman that everybody kind of likes it's just it's very unusual it's almost mm-hmm. they'd never kill the kid but the second least likely to die i think would be shelly winters and you know who survives jack albertson i figured he was toast but yeah uh, <laughs> but no i just remember being shocked as a kid yeah, yeah. when he stole fizzy lifting drinks i thought he was going out right <laughs> 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 he's gonna get chopped up in that fan and that was it they could yeah. use some fizzy lifting drinks on this yeah that uh, would have been helpful trip. that would have been helpful oh, God, but, she's, yeah, so, so, she's so sweet and and the relationship with Manny is so so lovely. It's it's yeah. It's unfair. They're really good. It's it genuinely is really unfair. unfair. Now is this this all appears to be the real actors swimming around? Uh, it is them. these underwater yes. sets. Yeah. Which I that's, mean, a, that's least, impressive. It's Shelley Winters and Gene Hackman. Um, I didn't. I don't know for sure. Like whether there's some body doubles like of the other actors as they show them swimming through. Um, like for example, Stella Stevens in her her shirt and and panties um so we're go, we get to the engine room thanks to the to the sacrifice of shelly winters and they have to climb a lot of catwalks which it, it is hard to see a lot of the details in this film and that's i think one of the complaints over time you know and maybe there's a print now that is is better but you know i'm 
I couldn't figure out, you know, what the layout of that final, the room where the, the final death scenes occur. <laughs> but but uh, I'm mad about Stella Stevens because uh, she's, I mean, you could say she was fridged there. She falls off the catwalk after everything else. <laughs> and to the heels. To the heels. But they all had heels. All the women mm-hmm. had heels. And, and it just is setting up Rogo's big scene. Um, which is a great scene, I agree, but it just, she could have had something more weighty to do than just mm-hmm. like lose her balance. That's my opinion. But Yeah, I had always only ever seen this in uh, pan and scan aspect ratio on the, on mm-hmm. the old VHS tape. Um, and so I had always uh, remembered that scene as her just sort of disappearing, but uh, watching the Blu-ray, whatever print they used for it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you can see her body down there. Which yes. Is, <laughs> I didn't remember that either until this time. Like, it I has don't solved think a I, mystery that's been it. with me for many years. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, so now we're down like very quickly <laughs> down to more of our handful of survivors and we get. Um, that makes it all the we, more awful, too, the fact that so many of them get so close. Yeah. Right. I mean, Shelley Winters very nearly made it. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of movies like this, they would pace it so that more die early on because what they're going to do with the other characters is have them have a lot of chance to mourn the people who've passed. They do, especially in military war movies where you have like a group of 20 that ends up becoming four and there's a lot of time for the guys to sit there and mourn. But in this case, there's so much action going on that except for Manny mourning Shelley Winters and then Ernest Borgnine doing his speech later, there's not really a lot of time to process it because they got to keep going. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. True. So, yeah. So we're down to down to se- uh, seven. Uh, Reverend Scott is like, there it is. There's the way. And there's one more of those mysterious explosions. <laughs> of course. Something explodes, the script says. Something explodes. And um, and I guess the pipe gets, I don't totally understand this part either, really, uh, from a physics point of view, is that there's a valve that has steam blowing out of it. And it didn't before, but you got to have those it's maritime law. <laughs> <laughs> he can. Cl- it's not like a pipe broke, and because otherwise he wouldn't have been able to shut it off, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't know. I don't want to pick apart the very final thing. It, it's sort of. It's sort of like he's a cartoon character hanging on that valve. It just was. It's like. Yeah, you know, the Acme Valve Company made it, and the little cartoon <laughs> character has to close it by, by hanging on it, which of course will mean his doom. And I love how bright red and obvious it is. It's like it, plot device here. <laughs> there's big arrows pointing to it. <laughs> it's great. I, I always assumed that the way that worked is that the the pipe, which is carrying steam for some reason, um, which you know, like I said, you need it. Uh, the Coast Guard will actually board your ship and check to make sure you've got one of those. Um, I assume that it broke farther down the line and then he like closes off a junction with that with that wheel. But he has an mm. amazing knowledge of how those steam pipes work for right. somebody. Yeah, who's... that's that's what I was struggling with. I mean it's 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 you know, it's it's an isolation valve, fine, and you go there and you isolate the steam, but how did he sit there and study the pipes and say, Well, the steam's <laughs> coming out here, so I've got to get upstream of that and I, that's where the pressure's coming from, so I'll just close this. It's like yeah, anyway, it's fine. I mean, it's fine, but okay. <laughs> I'm glad we had this discussion. It's been bugging me. Um, it's been That's what I expect me. from a bunch of nerds talking about the Poseidon Adventure. Um, I, now, when I was a kid, I thought 
for sure Gene Hackman would still survive. Um, obviously, as an adult, I look at it and say, yeah, there's no way he can do anything but fall. But I thought, oh, he closed it, and now he's going to somehow join them and and get rescued. So yeah. I was disappointed. He gets his big speech railing yes. against God for taking all the people for, uh, mm-hmm. for no good reason. Yeah. So now we're down to six, and uh, Rogo, who's been uh, kind of sidelined in his grief. Oh, Red Buttons gets a speech, finally, and gets to look like the tough guy. And he's essentially goading Rogo. Uh, how many times does Rogo go like, hey, watch it there? <laughs> like, That's throughout enough. this movie. He doesn't hit anybody. You know, there's one little tussle, you know, along the way. But basically... In other movies, he's beaten people to a pulp, but in this, he just says, "Hey, watch your language." Man. That's enough. And, and then he then that's he moves enough. on. Yeah, and they, Red Buttons through. has a great speech. To be fair, yeah. I mean, he's he pushes all the right buttons on uh, on Ernest Borgnine's character mm-hmm. and calls into question yeah. his abilities as a detective. I think that's what finally does it. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, I mean, I, I think Shelley Winters' acting is clearly the standout, but I think Red Button's character is written really well, and I think he handles it well by underplaying it, because mm-hmm. Red Button's can be sort of a, I mean, a ham, and he's a comic. And I think he just decides that the best way to handle it, knowing that he has a good part, is to dial it back, and then obviously he's got this sort of quasi-romantic relationship, protective relationship with the Carol Lindley character, so he's mm-hmm. he's sweet, as well as being sort of the... He's not competing for power with Borgnine and Hackman, which is right for his character anyways. Uh, but yeah, and it it also makes him much more survivable uh, at the end. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like a really odd choice for that role, doesn't he? It's weird. Kind just, of. I mean, I think really it any works. comedy beats for, for that character. Right? I mean, there's he, mm-hmm. he tells a couple of jokes at the table uh, during the banquet for, for New Year's Eve, but they're not, you know... They're not. They're not sort of hammy. I feel like he would have auditioned for that. Like I don't think anybody would have said, "You know what we need for this part is red buttons." And they probably would have auditioned, and they would have gone, "You know what? It kind of works." And yeah. people would have known the name. Just he in was the way famous that he, back yeah. then. That yeah, was well, it. Absolutely thing. works, yeah. but it's it's so strange yeah. to see him in that character because it's he's, he's not a guy you would think yeah. for this sort of yeah. quiet, totally. shy, possibly hypochondriac haberdasher. You know. Yeah. <laughs> And so, yeah, so they get through that final thing, which, again, they're lucky to be on the right side of, I guess. I hadn't thought about that. Unscrew that last that last hatch, then bang on the ship's hull, uh, attracting the rescuers who happen to be there. Just right in time. Just happen moment. to be there it's on so top convenient. of the ship in their helicopter with, with a, a blowtorch. Sure, yeah. So. And they don't say, hey, get out of the way. We're going to come through. No, I, they don't. <laughs> the most improbable part to me of this whole movie is that they get to their destination and that they are rescued because they can bang on the ship and there happens to be a helicopter there. That's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That's it's where we needed the C4. Fun. I love it, but it's ridiculous. Well, and then the funny thing is they just take off in that helicopter. It's like. There's mm-hmm. probably other people, but oh well, we got like, we got. Hey, how six. many of y'all are down there? There's six. Okay, let's go. <laughs> that's 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 all we got room in the helicopter right. for. So we're right. out of here. An hour later, another group comes through and are like, <laughs> "What, what the hell? hell?" They're sitting on top of the. They're going there's helicopter yeah. tracks up here. Where did it go? Well, at least there's a hole. We can get the hell out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least we can be eaten by sharks instead of drowning. So we'll be we'll be good on the bottom of a ship out in the yeah. open ocean. I'm sure we'll be fine. 
problem. <laughs> That's great. Oh, but they also mentioned, did you save anybody else from the bow? And we, we didn't mention that phenomenally creepy scene where at one point yeah. they get to Broadway and they see this long procession of sort of zombified people walking towards the bow of the ship led by the doctor who insists that that's the way to go. But of course, Gene Hackman knows that it's it's the, the stern you've got to go to because he has the magic child who knows everything about the ship. <laughs> <laughs> Having spent a great deal of very questionable time with a third engineer. But uh, it's the 70s. That's how kids are. <laughs> yeah. But it's 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 a great moment when they get out and it's like, yeah, nobody, nobody from the bow. Basically, six of the thousand people that were on the ship made it out. And it's kind of a, a a shock at that moment. Yeah. I do like that scene when they encounter those people because they, they see them from an adjacent corridor and you're right, they're zombified. And mm -hmm. even as Hackman is sort of running along the line to catch up with the doctor and nobody's speaking to him, but he gets to the doctor, they're already, they're moving downhill. So it's yeah. clear mm -hmm. right. they're going the wrong way. I mean, it's just clear. It's not even a thing of maybe the bow somehow is upturned. No, you're going downhill right now. That's not where you want to go. And maybe, as it turns yeah. out, angry, rebellious, critical, and a renegade is not the best quality in a preacher, because clearly he has a tough time convincing anybody of anything, even very obvious things like don't go down into the water. Yeah. They didn't really try very hard. They tried much harder in the ballroom to get more people. And I guess they're just like, oh, well, whatever. But um, both groups of people are just like, mind your own business, dude. <laughs> We've decided to head to true. our doom. <laughs> Let us die in peace. Um, <laughs> and so when they say nobody got out of the bow, I once again feel a somewhat uh, guilty sense of satisfaction. You well, dummies. No spoilers. No spoilers for future sequels. Let's just say if you really want to <laughs> oh see some more people. Uh, there is there is beyond the Titanic. I mean, beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Right. Please, no sequels to Titanic. Please, I'm just please. saying, if you're ever in a disaster situation and you see Gene yeah. Hackman, you know, as a as a potential person you could follow, that's the guy you follow. Follow yeah. the Oscar winner. Is it's the not the random character actor. The shouty one heading up, <laughs> up. Follow if, up. if the guy's got an Oscar that he just won like a year ago. That's who you follow. That's right. All right. <laughs> well, to me, the biggest tragedy of the this film is right at the end when they get on the helicopter and they fly away and that's it. They initially wanted to have a shot of the upturned uh, ship, you know, like uh, an aerial shot showing the ship in the water, but they ran out of money. And Irwin <laughs> Allen was like, he said like, he was like, no, we're not going over budget for that. So we'll just show them getting onto a helicopter and, you know, some pretend propellers and, and bye-bye. And, and I was surprised by that because I had a vivid recollection of seeing that exact shot. And I'm wondering if maybe the opening of Beyond the Poseidon Adventure had that Our shot Our movie-watching brains want the shot to exist, I guess. And you can see it. You can imagine that they would do the shot. And then as the shot is, is pulling out, the, the ship is clearly sinking. Yeah, all you really need is that small section. Yeah, it feels like you could have done that with a model reasonably well. And, and all you would really need is that very small section of the stern of the ship sticking out, which would have just, you know, driven home yeah. the fact that the rest of the ship is pretty much gone. Yeah. But uh, that's a bummer. But I, I must have seen the opening or, or, yeah, I think I've seen the opening scene of the Beyond the, the Poseidon Adventure at some point because I know I've seen that shot somewhere. Oh, that's not a joke. I thought you guys were joking about Beyond the Poseidon. No, no, it's no, a it's thing. Really it is a joke. It. it might be a joke, but and also it is a, movie. a thing. <laughs> um, yes, if you, if you didn't have it's enough Oscar power, uh, go watch uh, 
uh, Michael Caine and Sally Field and um, some other people. Telly Savalas, not an Oscar winner, I'm pretty sure. Um, anyway, that's uh, maybe maybe for our rocket surgery someday. We'll yes, watch that I'm here <laughs> we'll for that. Assemble. Um, I wanted to wrap this up um, and uh, get everybody's final thoughts, um, and maybe if you have anything uh, to, uh, on your mind about disaster genre in general. I I think that would be interesting, but or will you watch Beyond the Poseidon Adventure? I think that's inadvisable. Um, and, uh, Challenge accepted. Don't go toward the bow and don't watch Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> well, Shelley, what are your final thoughts? As I said, I I love this movie. It is as I remember it as a kid. I love all of the the actors because. Both again, both before and after this movie, they had such great careers. There's so much to say about them. It was so much fun. And yeah, I I grew up in the 70s when these movies and the airport movies and Towering Inferno and Earthquake and all these movies were a thing. Irwin Allen presents that meant something in those days, man. Land and of the Giants. This is this was <laughs> definitely my favorite. I remember seeing Towering Inferno, and I don't know. I was more scared by that because fire freaks me out, and I just I just yeah. uh, I mean, there's fire in this movie. It seems but, a lot it, more plausible, too, to be yeah. honest. Uh, and the airport <laughs> movies I love, but I didn't think of them as disaster movies in the same way. They were just ridiculous, including, and I've said this before on podcasts, my favorite is uh, how Charlton Heston gets in the plane to save the day in airport 1975. Just watch it. It's amazing. Yes. Uh, but yeah, all, this genre is a lot of fun. And for me, because I, I'm not a horror person, I'm not even really a modern thriller person. I don't mind watching thrillers, but the, the sort of cheesy aspect and the fact that it's so plot driven, there's a lot of action, of course, but it's really plot driven and character driven. I love that. I love that you can mix that. And mm -hmm. that's what makes this movie so delightful and why I would watch it again and make people I know watch it. <laughs> Good. Like people younger than me who never would have seen it. I mean, <laughs> right. Well, we need to torture the youth. That's our are calling. Um, Steve, what about you? Yeah. Um, like I said, I haven't seen this in at least two, maybe three decades uh, after seeing a ton of it when I was younger. And I was very concerned that it wouldn't hold up. Uh, and I'm shocked to say, and, and very happy to say that I think it does. I think they do just, just enough uh, explanatory stuff to make it seem sort of plausible as a person who's not, you know, that sort of engineer. Um, <laughs> the 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 sets and the whole upside down underwater element of it still still works like gangbusters on me um you know the cheesy lead up stuff is fine uh but overall yeah it's still i think is a pretty solid movie i i intend at some point to make my teenage and slightly older than teenage children uh watch this with me and see how it works on them because you know times have changed a bit but i i think it still holds up pretty well um i did just want to throw in one quick uh props for john williams excellent score mm -hmm. um which there aren't a lot of details that i remember about this movie and like i said i remember a lot of the dialogue but there were points in this movie where the score swells and I, I remember the music cues note for note. You know, it's it's yes. subtle, it's in the background, but it's it's brilliantly done and it it is memorable in its own way, I think. So Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up. I was thinking about that oh shoot, we didn't even mention the score, which is brilliant and extremely haunting. I remember when it cut it starts in in the first uh, few seconds of the 
the opening credits and I'm like, uh, the, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I'm already scared, you know, that, that fanfare that they use. And I will say, I have been dipping into clips of the towering inferno for which he also wrote the score. And it's like nothing compared to this. And I would say it sort of, it sort of presages a little bit Imperial March feeling like it's really seriously like moving and a little scary. And so anyway, but thanks for bringing that up, Steve. Uh, Ned, did you want to give us your final yeah, thoughts? Yeah, you know, something that kept coming up in my mind was like, whoever wrote the Doctor Who Christmas special set on the Titanic cruise ship in space? Oh, yeah. Clearly has seen this movie because there was the falling down the pit. There's the older yeah. couple who like, anyways, there's so many beats that I was just like, oh, yeah, they definitely watched this and, and borrowed some beats from that story, which was very fun to me. Um, And also, I just thoroughly enjoyed it. Like the action, it holds up really well. I couldn't stop watching. I really got invested in the characters and it's I I love movies of this era I'm born I'm this almost the same age as this movie I was born in 73 and there's something about watching movies from yeah the the 70s though it's just like that's my like you just can't capture that era in a replica like seeing the movies in that area you just see the fashion the things everything it's so familiar Mm -hmm. and so distant it makes me all nostalgic so I'm just i don't know it's fun i'd watch it again <laughs> i might watch beyond the pipe yeah an adventure you will who knows I don't way, will. i've just looked uh, it up there are four oscar winners and beyond beside an adventure can we, oh, can we just do a rocket surgery about it because i love yes, rocket we could. surgery i mean four uh, oscar winners people <laughs> so what you're saying shelly is it's good no, I'm not. <laughs> not that's right. That's what I'm saying. Tit- uh, the Titanic. This one wins. But yeah, four Oscar winners. I'm saying yeah, rocket so... surgery the heck out of that thing. Yeah, I'm like, let's do it. <laughs> All right. Well, Please. maybe we can reassemble Jean. the crew. I'll, I'll, I'll ask the producer. Um, and John, thank you so much for being here and, uh, and giving us some true knowledge instead of our made up uh, for movies, knowledge about the no, I, ship's I, I, engineering. No problem. I'm 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 happy to help, and it's uh, a bit of, a bit of a thrill to be on the show. To be honest, I also um, the thing that I found about it is I I looked at the you I have to suspend the engineer in me and um to really enjoy the rest of the movie because uh, to me even at age seven, which cracks me up. Yeah, I know. I, was, <laughs> I even couldn't take it back then. But I mean, the truth is that you know, older and older and wiser, you suspend disbelief, and the rest of the movie is like you can see why it's a classic. And and I sometimes wonder the whole tropes thing. It's like oh, yeah, it's a, it's a bit cringy, or it's become. Uh, it's like was that because future um, movies and you know TV series took a lot of their cues from the Poseidon Adventure? I sort of wonder whether or not that's why we see it sometimes in that way, some parts of it. But I was surprised personally, just towards um, like the middle and the end of the movie, how how invested I'd actually become in some of the characters because um, mm-hmm. the acting really was really was quite good. There were some cringy bits, of course, and lots of lots and lots of shouting. But it was um, yeah, it, it was. My still... brother has beautiful hair. He, yeah, well, he did. He did <laughs> he once. Did. That's certainly true. 
Um, but yeah, I guess for me, I, I just I, I know that the the odds of, the, of whether or not that could actually happen, the complete inversion thing, is pretty much zero. Um, it, it land on its side, sure, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, be ca- capsized, yes, but fully capsized like that, no. The the center of buoyancy, it wouldn't work like that. You'd blow out the portholes on the side, and it would just flood in from the side first, and it would just tip over, um, and sink sideways. But in the end. Um, once you put your head in that space, if everything's upside down, like going up the stairwell upside down, that was the one that threw me, Steve, mm-hmm. when you mentioned how getting your head around that upside down, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that would be a smooth surface. So how would you get up there sort of thing? Mm-hmm. And 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 that's sort of a it challenges your your thinking. Uh, and it's 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 kind of it was it's unique in that respect. And I kind of I kind of love that about it. So, yeah. 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 Anyway, well, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I'm glad that everybody had a good time and is not mutinying on the podcast <laughs> for um, me suggesting that this would make a good episode of The Incomparable. Um, I like these 50 anniversaries because they are um, right now we're in that period of when I was a preteen uh, to young teen and the you know movies make an impact on your uh, psyche and this one definitely did i didn't ever go on a cruise ship i had actually already been a titanic like buff as a little kid cuz i i saw it in the, the encyclopedia under t and i saw the little engraving <laughs> picture where they and keep i it. was i'm like oh no <laughs> that's terrible it's and actually then, under uh, the ocean but anyway <laughs> yeah so uh, that I it up was, under iceberg uh, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, I, I a lot that I learned I uh, had to unlearn from from what I'd learned from the encyclopedia, um, and uh, I seeing Poseidon and you know it's like oh my gosh ships they're just so unreliable, and uh, I never went on a cruise until I was forty almost fifty, <laughs> and I was nervous. <laughs> I was definitely like, okay, I hope I don't freak out and have like some kind of big panic attack because now it's happening. Were you looking um, around and- for ways that you could move around the ship if it was upside down? <laughs> I did. Yeah, well, it was a shouty ship- people to follow in case you got in trouble. <laughs> wow, that guy's really shouty. <laughs> it was a, uh, well, it was a Mac geek cruise, so we mostly stayed inside sitting on our Macs. Oh, like God, a bunch of geeks, geeks arguing on trying to get out of the ship. Can yes. you imagine? Yeah. I- I think that would make an interesting one, but yeah, we were in, uh, we did go to Greece. Um, so I was oh, well, like, you're just asking for it. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I discovered I really enjoy ships and I enjoy being on them. And, uh, I, I like, I, I do like it. So I got over it. It t- only took almost 50 years, but, or 40 <laughs> years, but I got over it. Um, but to me, yeah, it was, it was completely etched in my brain, the, the movie. And I, it, I consider it one of my favorites if I want to feel a little bit scared. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, so I'm going to wrap this up and say thanks again uh, to uh, Annette, Steve, Shelley, and John for joining me on this uh not a three-hour cruise and uh i thank you to our listeners for coming along